There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth. Revealing emotion, strengthening their self-awareness, and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity, and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series, ladies and gentlemen. The greatest case study on men, where we paint the picture of the conscious journey of man and how they got there so we can help those who are just starting this path. And I'm with my conscious brother, Rodolfo. Man, how are you? I'm really well. Thank you, Luca. Thanks for having me on the, the podcast. Oh, you're welcome, man. As soon as we connected just recently... I was like, oh, I have to get your story on there. Just your experiences, some of the things you've partaken in, and I'm really excited to share that. Awesome. Cool, man. So the first question is, where did you grow up and where do you live now? So I I grew up in California, in San Diego, I think pretty much from the third grade on. And so I kind of had the California quasi-surfer lifestyle. And um, at around the age of... 20, I guess, maybe even, no, probably 27, actually. My ages are all off when I try to look <laughs> at my history. Um, about 12 years ago from now, <laughs> I moved here to Bali, Indonesia, and have been living an island life since then, uh, and getting to immerse myself in, in self-development and some spirituality and consciousness, but also find balance in yeah. you know, how to survive when you're on an island. Yeah. Was it your intention to stay there, for, stay in Bali for 12 years? No, I came for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I came for two funny? weeks and it just kept extending and extending. Wow. And just because you felt the call to stay here to, to do this or what was it exactly? A big piece of it was, and really the reason that I even stayed at all was the community here. Yeah. When I first came to Bali, you know, I'd been traveling around quite a bit. I was pretty much done with the States. Um, I had a lot of history with the States as far as being in the military. I was special operations, uh, mm. U.S. soldier. And so I was kind of ready to, to be somewhere else. And when I got to Bali, the mixture of quality of life with the beauty of the community that's here, both locally as the Balinese and even the expats that were coming here, was the perfect mix for me. And, mm. and so I continued to stay and stay. But I was never really committed thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm here to stay and put my roots down. It was more like, oh, this is a great place to be. Mm. And then finally now engaged and, and ready to start my own family, 
Um, mm. My fiance and I have decided, oh yeah, you know what, we are going to stay actually. Yeah, I remember he talking about that before. So you're going to grow, have a family and create a family here in Bali. Yes, yeah. Cool. At least for the first few years, and then we'll we'll see what's going on in the world by then. Yeah, it sounds like you sort of just take it as it comes anyway, right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And how old are you now, bro? I'm 40 years old. Wow, don't look a yeah. day over 30. Truly. Thank you, thank Honestly. you. Honestly, you get that a lot though, don't you? I do, a little bit. I mean, especially here. It, yeah. It's funny because, you know, I've, I've never felt this old in, yeah. in the traditional context of it. But I swear on the day that I turned 40, my back kind of went out. I took a, a, a midday nap. Like, my fiance is looking at me like, really? I'm like, <laughs> still came piling on you. Wow, that's funny. Well, it's good. So, what, what would you say, like, has been attributed to that sense of, like, youth in you? Uh, definitely the way that I live my life. You know, I, I have done, when I talk about my consciousness or spirituality or any practices, it's mm. not really so much in the beliefs that I have, but it's in the ways that I've maintained a stress-free life as much as possible. And mm. whether that's my mindset around finances or my mindset around survival and, and what happiness gets to be and things like that, those have been my real cultivations. Mm. And I think that's what's kept me young. You know, mm -hmm. I, I really believe that stress is one of the main reasons that, that people look older and feel older and, and, and cripple themselves down. Mm, totally. So you've just learned to manage stress. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I can I totally agree with that. How much, I mean, yeah, I can see, you can just see from people that are just coming into my vision now of like all those people in my life that sort of showed me what can stress can do to the body. It's, I mean, it, it does stress kills, right? Yeah. 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 And what are you doing for a living right now, brother? So for many years, actually about 20 years, I've been a personal development coach. Uh, essentially, I, I like to call myself a heart coach. Yeah. And a, it's a difference between a life coach where I think a life coach will help you get to the goals that you've already set. Like you'll mm -hmm. say, I want to reach $10 million or whatever, and they, they help you get there. Whereas I look at it and I go, great, so is $10 million going to make you happy? Yeah. Like, what? what's your heart really want? Because before we start down that path, let's just make sure we're clear and aligned with what's, what's real for you. Mm. And then from there, move forward. Yeah. So, I mean, in the sense of being a heart coach, is like you've got to find what's in alignment. And how does that tend to look in people like when they're out of alignment? Normally, you'll see uh, actually one of the, the main, many uh, symptoms is a rush. People mm. want to hurry and hastily get to whatever their goal is yeah. and that tells me right there that you know not only may they be out of alignment but they're they're trying to avoid something they're trying to get mm -hmm. away from something not move toward it mm -hmm. because otherwise let's say if you're if you just think of it in terms of uh, making a, a meal right if you're making the meal because you're you feel like you're starving then or even if you go to a restaurant and you're trying to find what you want. And if you're starving, you're just going to be like, just give me this and this and whatever. I just need food now, right? And so there's this rush. Whereas when it's actually because you're in alignment, you you're feel balanced, meaning that you know, you're not starving, but you arrive, and then you take a look to see what you really want. Mm. And, and you're not caring if they take you know, two hours to make the best possible meal for you because you know that takes time and, and you, you're not in a rush for it because you're not mm. avoiding something. Mm -hmm. mm. And what's one thing you're really good at? Ooh, good question. Um, 
Uh, probably actually one holding space, listening, yeah. being able to really penetrate through people's story. Actually, it's part of the tagline of my website and, and my branding is, you know, to see the beauty and the brilliance beyond your stories. Mm. And so I, I love to listen to people, listen to where they're coming from, even sometimes their their complaint or their misery story to see what's really behind it, what core beliefs there that I can work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love to, outside of, of coaching, to do speaking engagements where mm-hmm. I get to do that level of, of introspective thought and sharing with a huge audience and, and really just get to dive in. Mm, powerful. And you did two years silent. We're yes. going to talk about that for a bit. Two years silent where you said, and you, and you were still coaching at that point. You said, well, the, the best part of coaching is, the biggest part of coaching is listening, right? How was that? Okay. How was that for you? Uh, well, it was very quiet for one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did one year in 2012 to 2013, and then I did it mm. again 2016 to 17. And both times were, were amazing experiences for me, not just from the level of, of internal introspection, but also how I would express into the world. What I noticed is when I would go silent, and it may have been partly because I, I used my body language a lot more, I would get much more playful. Mm. And I would find myself actually expressing my authentic nature, which is a very childlike, fun, you know, just likes to play around, but at the same time, dig deep into things. So a curiosity there that you also find in children. And that would come out so naturally in, in silence. And the moment I would start to speak, especially if I was in a role of coaching or, or being a speaker up on stage, I get into a little more of that serious role, like, okay, I'm, I'm here to share something <laughs> about life with you, instead of just being playful. So finding the mix between the two has been a, an interesting integration. Yeah, I can totally imagine that. I, I, I think sometimes, actually, I know I've been quite serious in this path too. It's just like, but the, the life is play, right? Yes. That's cool. What's one of your biggest fears right now? Right now, especially, I think one of my, my biggest fears is, it's an interesting one. It, it's around success. And mm. I think when people start on this path of consciousness, they'll, they'll start realizing more and more that they're not really afraid of failure, but they're more afraid of success. Ooh. And for, for me, it's the sense that when I look at myself and I look at my potential, I know that, that I can end up being booked on stages around the world, that I can be sharing for thousands and millions of people. But what I fear about that kind of success is I would lose my simple life yeah. and I enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy the, the uncomplication of having a, a wonderful partner. We're going to start our family and not having to think about thousands of other people that I'm quasi responsible for with the service that I give. Yeah. yeah. And so that's actually a, a deep rooted fear I'm also integrating at the moment to realize I can have both. Wow. And how are you looking towards getting both? Are you obviously a lot of communication with your partner to see if your values align? Yeah. That's definitely, you know, within the, the, the local family sphere is, is with my partner, uh, within the community here, but also in the goals that I set as business. For instance, right now we're, we're starting up a business to create a physical space for personal development. Yeah. And as I've looked at it and I started doing my budgeting, I'm actually capping the number of members, capping the, the number of people I think might come to a class, even though the space allows for more, because I don't want to have to address more than that. But then within that context would be the fact that 
as part of that center, things are going to go out online. Things are going to go, you know, into other industries and other places that the wisdom and the teachings and, and the sharing can continue onward. And so the business yeah. can grow, but where I actually get to spend my time is within a community that's more aligned with what I want, which is a community that can be intimate and close and actually grow together. Mm, I love that, man. I love that. What's one of your favorite quotes right now? Mm. Uh, a couple of them that come to mind. One of the first ones is Les Brown. He's another motivational speaker. And he says a beautiful thing. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't know exactly, <laughs> but he, he says, you know, when you're setting your goals, shoot for, for the furthest star because even if you just make it to the moon, you made it to the moon. Yeah, that's so good. Right? <laughs> and that's, I guess, the concept of that is like not thinking big enough. Yeah, exactly. Where, where we play small in life, right? Yeah. Uh, most yeah. of the time, we may not, if, we, if we're not thinking big enough, we're probably not going to have the willpower to even achieve what we're thinking of. Yeah. And so then if you're thinking small and you're like, well, I, I want to get to that next position at my work. Well, you're probably not even going to get there because the, the motivation's not there. Yeah. So that's one of the quotes. Another one that actually is really landing me, with me right now as I'm looking more at some of the investments into business and stuff like that is from Robert Kiyosaki, so author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where he says, it's not about making more money. It's about keeping the money you make. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the and, truth, man? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I love that philosophy of that we often think we have to keep adding, 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 but it's, yeah. no, no, what you get, don't just splurge out, you know, yeah. use wisely, invest wisely. Yeah, I love that, bro. And he's got a good game. Uh, you were talking about his board game, hey? Yes, yes, cash flow, mm. uh, which we actually just played recently. We found somebody here in Bali that has it. Really? Yeah. And in Ubud? Yeah. yeah. Uh, up here in Ubud, and, and we may actually order online the, to try to get the game ourselves. Wow, that'd be cool. Hopefully it comes soon. We'll, um, we'll have to come and join you for that. Yes, that'd be yes, great, please. man. And what, I would like to know, what's, what's a conscious man to you, Rodolfo? This is a great question. I, I remember actually a couple years back here in Bali, not so much thinking just what a conscious man is, but just what is a man? Yeah. Because there was, there was a lot of guys here that... Age-wise, we're definitely within their, their manhood, their adulthood. Um, but their attitudes and personalities to things I've, I found to be very boyish, right? Immature. And it was interesting because what I finally realized was a, a huge marker was how a man or any person really responds to criticism. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody's still, we'll say, immature in their own self-awareness or their, their ability to, to be willing to grow and things like that, if they're criticized, they'll just come back as defensive as possible, you know, attack the other person, this kind of a thing. Whereas I believe somebody, especially a conscious man, is one who will listen to feedback and go, oh, let me look at where that's true so yeah. that I can improve so that I can become better or so that I can be clear about how I really want to express because it's obviously being taken differently. Mm, that true. That's a, yeah. It, it's like the very fir- the fundamental part is like really listening and Again, accepting yeah. what's in your, yeah, right? Like accepting what's in your field. Mm, that's beautiful, man. What's one thing that challenges you right now? Hmm. I have to really think about these questions because 
<laughs> yeah, but my fiance and I have conversations almost every day where we clear out challenges. Like, <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Challenge comes up and we kind of clear it. Yeah. Um, do you, just again, on that, do you clear it like in the sense of you look at the benefits of it? We, we integrate it in. We try to figure out where's the challenge really coming from, what core belief might there be, is it that I misunderstood something, am I projecting some story, and, and looking at all of that to find out, okay, what's the reality? That's beautiful. And from that reality, I have a lot more ability to actually respond. If I'm trying to respond or react to a story in my head, well, it's just like trying to you know, grab a cloud. You can't. Yeah. And so you can't do anything about it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, as a challenge, I think... Right now, it would be just timing certain things. Uh, with the uncertainty that's in the world and opening a business, my fiance and I wanting to, to start our family. So we're kind of figuring out a dynamic of, okay, what's going to be the right mm -hmm. timing? And, and a little bit of challenge at a personal level in that, because as a man, or, or at least in the stereotypical man uh, sense, I want to be able to protect and provide for my partner and my family. Yeah. And there are elements in the world and in even our, our local community and things like that that I don't have control over. Yeah. There, there's things that might change, the regulations that might change. And so there's a, a bit of me that's kind of like, oh, I, don't, I, I can't be sure, I can't be certain or guarantee that I can protect and provide right now. And that's where then it's nice to actually be able to communicate really well with my partner and, and find that she's not worried. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of that is just our stories coming up. Right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Cool, man. I love that process. What's uh, what's unconditional love mean to you? That's a tough one because I, I don't think I believe in unconditional love. Like even by trying to define it, I'm giving it a condition. <laughs> um, the way I would look at it though is, can we infuse curiosity into our definition of love, into our definition of connection, into our definition of communication? Because what we normally do is we will have conditions and we'll say, well, if you're not meeting these conditions, then it's not this. Okay. But that just means that those conditions were our own limited perspective of it. Can we be curious as to how another might see it? And so with love, for instance, it would be like here, here in, in Bali, we've, we've got many different kind of communities of people. We have those that have families, those that are couples, those that are single. We've got a huge polyamory and tantric community and stuff like that. And to be able to say, okay, the one that I choose is monogamy and family and partnership, but it doesn't mean that I don't believe the tantrics and polyamory yeah. can't have an unconditional love as well, if they're curious about their expression of it. And, and that's how I would look at unconditional love, is to be curious without needing to adopt all perspectives, to be able to yeah. say, yeah, I, I chose one, but that doesn't mean yours is wrong. Mm, so pure acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. And... This is the last question for this, this section before we get into your, your personal story. But do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you? I believe in probably the, the power of connection. And okay. so rather than it being an identified deity or, or focal point of tradition or religion, I look at it more in the sense of how do we connect with ourselves? How do we connect with the outer world? How do we connect to higher elements of, of our environment that we may not be conscious of? Mm. And in that sense, I'm looking at it with, with a curiosity again to say, okay, how, how do I find my alignment to connect in with something that might be greater than me, but not because it's more powerful, but simply because it's more whole. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love that. And how would you connect to that on a daily basis, or do you connect to that on a daily basis? Uh, I'd say through the practices that, that that I have every morning, you know, meditating and qigong and things like that, just becoming more present. Yeah. And so with whatever I do, my, my intention is to be purposeful and present. Yeah. And so as I become more purposeful and present, I notice the little things that I can then connect to. Yeah. It's kind of like if you're, if you're racing down the roadways here on a motorbike and every, you've done it for days and days, months and months, and all of a sudden one day you don't have your bike and so you're walking and you're like, hey, when did that shop get here? When, <laughs> when was that? But they've been there the whole time, right? And that's, that's the quality of what would happen if we slowed down. So slowing down, being more present, taking notice Observing. of what's actually around. Mm, awesome, man. It's great answers. And now we're going to get into your personal story and it's sort of going to go like this and then we're going to finish on a, at the top again. All right. But the first question is, what did your life look like as unwoke and what's it look like now? And I use the term unwoke as, as it's not a bad thing or a derogatory term. It's more so of a, a state where we're in in the sense of wokeness and consciousness. And it's for those people listening to, it's not a destination, it's a journey. Okay, and so we're all on this beautiful journey at different stages. But yeah, what does your life look like as that unwoke, that unconscious side, and how does it compare to now? Uh, I think there's, we'll say, practical elements that I could look at where, you know, back when I was a kid and I was in college and, and moving towards the, the traditional route of, okay, get my degree, get a job, make good money, uh, have status. And, but even that didn't last that long. I think it's more for me on a level of whether I'm doing something for myself or if I'm doing it for community. And then also finding that at the same time, it, it ends up coming back to self and being okay with that. Okay. So, yeah, I think we, we, for me, especially this sense of survival. So when being unwoke to me and in my own life was probably when I was doing things, making choices and decisions to try to survive in the world, whether that was to survive by feeling belonging, to, to being validated, to actually surviving by making money so that I could have the things that I wanted, that I needed, or I thought I needed for status, um, things to make me feel special by or the impact that I might be having, like all these kind of things. I think those were a level of still being unwoke. And then the more I've moved into, oh, wait, I can just live my life, be joyful, fulfilled, whole. And those things might happen. <laughs> mm. Mm, interesting. So you're just seeing it differently now. Exactly. Like the, the, the decisions and choices haven't changed that much. But the way I'm looking at it has. The motivations mm. have changed. Mm. Why do you think that's changed? A lot because I realized that the, the other way around was... was insatiable it, there was a leaky bucket like no matter how much status no matter how much money no matter how much uh, achievement it, it never was enough because I wasn't looking with contentment at where I was I was looking with necessity and need and and scarcity wow isn't that beautiful that contentment is like if you could never be if you're not content with what you have now you'll never be content with what you want right exactly the more you get it it's just weighing down more onto you know, this, this pressure of a hole that's there. Yeah. How long have you been on this journey for? Yeah. Probably a good 25 years, I'd say. Wow. So if I'm, if I'm 40 now, then yeah, let's see, probably 50. Okay, maybe around 18 years old is when I first started to really look at some things. Yeah. 
doing meditation and stuff like that. So yeah, about 23 years, 22. What, what made you go into that point where you were like, I want to look at meditation? Was there like a, something happened? At that time, probably not. I think I was always just drawn towards it. Um, but I was also coming out of my military time and some, some pretty strong experiences within that. Hmm. And so I think I was looking for balance even unconsciously because yeah. I, I didn't even realize back then. Uh, you know, I, I know now probably more than 10 years later that I did end up having a lot of PTSD from, from certain experiences while in the military. And I just, it didn't click at the time. I thought to myself, no, no, it's just, this is natural. And I'm, you know, I'm just anxious or I'm just this or this. And later as time went on, I realized, oh, wow, there's all this other stuff. So I think unconsciously as a way to balance, I started getting into massage therapy and body work and energy work. And, and that moved me more into conscious fields and philosophies and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What was your biggest vice, um, you know, in that unwoke period? What were you at the 18 year old period? Hmm. Um, I want to say there's two things and, and they're not going to sound like the traditional, I, I never got into drugs or alcohol or smoking. Mm. Um, but more so, I think this, we could even call it people pleasing in a way or, or mm. taking on responsibility. That's not my own. Uh, when my parents, they separated when I was pretty young, but I was enough of an age that I, I thought to myself, okay, now it's my job to take care of the family. And it wasn't a necessity, but because of that, I, I strived in school, I strived in work, I, I started doing entrepreneurial things. I didn't have my childhood. And so essentially, like, taking on too much responsibility was a bit of a vice because it, it was unbalanced. Mm. Mm, interesting. It's funny because that's not the first time someone has actually said that. So, you oh, know, the good. typical one is like the drugs, the alcohol, but the, it's, it's, yeah, it's not. It's actually like, you know, a lot of, people with work being busy and also, mm -hmm. you know, people pleasing. What emotion challenged you most as well through that period? You know, we've got anxiety, shame, guilt, fear, anger, depression, sadness. What, what was really triggering you? Uh, I would say shame. And I, I think that's probably still one of my greatest teachers at the moment mm -hmm. is looking at this level of like, we can look at judgment and we can look at guilt and things like that. And you can, look at a scenario or a behavior or a decision or a choice or an action that you say, okay, I, I feel guilty because of that, or I feel yeah. judged because I did that. But shame, you know, as Brene Brown often says, it's not that you, you look at something you're like, oh, I feel shameful because of that. You're like, I am ashamed. Mm. And, and so it's an identity and it happens from all sorts of different things. You know, for me, I would, I, I could probably trace back to when I was less than seven years old and, and maybe hearing my parents fight and thinking, that's because of me. I must have done something wrong. I am wrong. And all of a sudden, we carry this with us. Yeah. And definitely, as I've looked at my, my way of looking at the world, uh, again, kind of coming back to this idea of, of the masculine wanting to provide and protect and seeing places where I wasn't able to do that, especially for loved ones and feeling great shame around that, noticing reactions and emotional the trauma and damage that I've had on, on people around me because of the PTSD and other, other things yeah. where then again, shame of going like, wow, I was a dangerous person and, and those things. But then also knowing that they, they aren't who I am. They were the way I was acting. Mm, mm, interesting. And do you find that like, 
in general shame can come from like a multitude of different things like i know that there's a lot of shame or shame is like predominant with like our shadow right that shadow aspect do you feel like it can just be like mainly because of our actions or is it can it also be from like you said like that cultural or just the conditioned experiences that we take on shame that's not really ours it's just a story yeah i definitely think it it comes from a multiple like you said multiple places if i was to really look at it and this just kind of came to me at the moment if we have certain core beliefs right and those core beliefs often are based on core fears so for instance i i think most men will have a, a fear of being helpless or hopeless most women tend to end up with like unworthiness and unlovability but for men if, if you're feeling helpless and it's not helpless that you're in a jungle and there's a bear coming at you or a, a panther coming at you and, and you feel helpless to protect yourself. Nah, that's not That'll just cause you, you know, to do fight or flight or, or, or whatever, but you'll survive. It's more helpless where the elements that make us men, the things that, that we want to do, so, and, and I categorize them into this idea of protection and providing where we don't feel we can. Yeah. And in the moment we don't feel we can, we feel helpless. And then we feel ashamed because we're like, but I should be able to. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. It's very interesting. Shame, isn't it? It's definitely, um, a powerful, a powerful shift occurs when we do fully integrate it and accept it and witness it. Right. What, what did you ever like, I know you sort of talked about this, but did you, you contributed that shame like to specific moments in your past and upbringing? Um, you mentioned like with your parents fighting or something, was that actually a situation? That's one that I can look back at now and realize that I, I probably did take something on, you know, I, from the age of zero to four to seven, sometimes it's our most impressionable time, right? As kids, we're like sponges. And if you look at the, the psychology around it, we're egocentric, meaning we believe everything that's happening around us is because of us. Yeah. If it's rainy, we're like, oh, I must have done that. Yeah. And that means that the environment around us, if our parents or, or anybody around us is fighting or there's negativity or there's intensity, we're thinking it's because of us. And so, yeah, for me, there, there are definitely some elements and moments where yeah. I probably blamed myself for things that were completely unrelated to me. Cool. Um, and then moving throughout life, we start to then try to prove and validate those core beliefs. And so we keep finding situations where it keeps coming up. You know, it could be like when I was in the military and, and I'm going out and, and I have no choice as to where we're going to go, even if I'm thinking, well, that's going to not be a good idea there, but we've been ordered. But then this sense within me will say, ah, but you know what? It's still my fault because I'm going or whatever. Yeah. It gets so subtle and, and, and sinister, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's what the, the power of realizing, uh, cultivating self-awareness so you can have that discernment to say, hey, this yeah. isn't my truth. This isn't my heart, as exactly. you would say. Now, you said that shame's sort of one that's been sort of coming, been one that you've been managing, an emotion you've been managing for most of your life. Would you say you found forgiveness and let that, that, those, those experiences and that shame go or integrated that feeling? I think uh, a lot of it for sure. Yeah. Uh, the more that I, I realize scenarios in which I may, may have adopted, again, that responsibility of something that wasn't mine, yeah. um, the more I've let go of, of belief of shame. Yeah. I do believe there's still stuff in there. Uh, I can 
consciously and cognitively look at things. And I think that's what most people end up doing. They just cognitively look at it and go, oh, okay, I understand that wasn't, that's not my fault or, or I had no reason really to feel shameful. But we've cultivated a certain energetic physically, literally within our tissues and muscles. And it could even be muscle memory of, you know, certain things will cause you to contract because of those beliefs. And so there's, there's still work, I believe for myself, to be done of moving the, the physicality of it, the somatic element yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I love that, that, just that authenticity and honesty with you and that saying that, you know, because you are obviously a teacher and coach to many, but it's just to say, hey, I still am, you know, working through stuff as well. But it's oh, yeah. like you've got the tools that you actually know how to process it and you embody what you say and you go through that and you lean in. So that's really powerful, man. I respect that and love that. You. When you were growing up, whose love did you crave most? And, and who did you have to be to get that love? Uh, definitely my dad's. Yeah. Um, and, and my dad was, is a very loving man, actually. I, I have an amazing relationship with him now and, and even then. But it was more this element of I grew up mostly with my mom and my sister. Okay. And when my parents separated, my dad moved out. He was close by, but it was almost like just the idea that he, he was separated from us and from me yeah. made me feel like I, and that had actually been during the, the marriage as well, because he was always working and, and had to commute two hours away, sometimes wasn't, would, would stay the night in other towns and then we'd come back. And so he wasn't really part of my life in my youth. And I think that created this craving of, I, I want to make sure that, that we have a connection. I want to make sure that he loves me, you know? Yeah. And so there was always that chasing after and, and. Did you have to sort of work hard to get to that point of like, did you have to take on that role of like working hard to sort of get his love or how was it that you would try and get it? Uh, I think I did a lot to prove myself worthy. So um, showing that I could take care of a lot, showing that um, that I did well in school, showing that, that you know I was very entrepreneurial and creating my own stuff. Yeah. Uh, financially, that that I would take care of myself and it was very independent. And but all those things actually didn't matter to my dad. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's funny when as adults we start to look at things. We're like, oh, you weren't avoiding me. You were just busy. You yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's that egocentric part of us, right? Exactly. And it's also funny because now there's so many beautiful gifts in what you went to learn about at that age that's probably serving you now, you know, like learning more about business, entrepreneurialism, blah, 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 blah. So it's like there's so many gifts in that, that absence, so to speak. And yeah, yeah, for sure. What about a low point in your life, if you can talk about one and, or remember one, like a, a point where it was really challenging for you and... Was suicide ever a factor for you? Good question. So I, I would have never thought that it would even come up for me, but yes, it, it, it has. And this is one of the things that was a key factor in me realizing I actually had some PTSD. Um, so a few th- different things came to my mind just now, as you asked, like a low, low time. There's been several in my life. Uh, two of the, well, we'll say three of the biggest ones. I used to have a holistic center, like a kind of a holistic community center in San Diego, California. And I started it. And within a year, we had thousands of people coming as members and and it was thriving. It was really helping the community. And financially, it went bankrupt after about a year and a half because I was trying to do a nonprofit thing and it, it just wasn't working. And I felt like I had failed 
all these people who had who'd come in again that responsibility thing was was hitting me and because of that i remember reaching out and saying hey look i want to continue serving i want to continue being there for everybody uh, I need some help. And it was the first time I publicly asked for help. Always, I was kind of one like, no, no, I got this. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm the one that was supposed to do it for everybody. So I'm, I'll do it. And this time I asked for help. And unfortunately, I think out of a thousand plus people, like one or two people responded and, and helped out a little bit financially. But it was such a hit to me to go, wait, all of this that I've done, all the that I, I thought I was doing because I was serving others and because they were connecting back in with me, it was actually coming from a false place on my side. It was coming from a false place on their side of just kind of codependency. You could even say of like teacher to student in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, a, it was a huge hit because it made me question, what am I doing? Like, what's my mm. purpose now? What, 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 what was my motivation in all of this? So you had like a debt, a financial debt you had, and then people that weren't really supporting you, but you've been supporting them. And it was like, what did you end up doing after that? I, I was literally homeless for a few months, um, jumping around from couch to couch with some friends. Uh, but what I eventually did was I took out as much as I could on, on some credit cards. My intention was to use it for a massive book launch. I was, I was publishing my third book at the time. Yeah. Um, and I did a, a soft launch. It didn't work out very well. So I was like, okay, well, now I have a bunch of, capital in the bank, but a product that's not going to work, I'm going to travel. And that's how I ended up in Bali. <laughs> Whoa, that's hilarious. What a gift, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look yeah. Wow. Good on you, man. And now you've probably got that experience too to start your next thing, which just sounds like what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome, man. What was, the sig- what was the significant moment of awakening for you in your, in your life? I, that one I can pinpoint really easily. So I've had a, a few moments of mass epiphany and, and I would almost call them Satori moments, like where okay. it's the moments of, of enlightenment where you feel one with everything. Yeah. But really what it is is that you no longer feel identified with your roles or your masks or, or who, who your personality. You're just, you're, you see that there's a possibility for all of it. Wow. And it was back in San Diego um, I think I was still in college at the time. I had kind of like a little bachelor's pad somewhere and, and I wasn't living on campus and, and I was on the phone with my sister. And for weeks prior to that, I had been saying when I would go home to visit my sister and my mom, because I, I went to college locally, um, that I didn't feel comfortable, that I felt like I wasn't being myself, but I didn't know why. Okay. And so my sister was checking in and, and it was quite an emotional kind of thing. And, and she was checking in to be like, do you feel more at home? Like mom and I are really trying and said, no, I just, I feel like you, you would not like who I'm, I really am. I don't know who that is, but I just, I don't feel like you would be happy with it. And finally, at some point, like the conversation got a little more emotional and my sister is yelling at me and like, like shouting in her emotion and, and her own triggers and, and fears and, and something just clicked. And I remember sitting there on the phone and I had this huge smile on my face that I couldn't wipe away. My poor sister's like yelling and shouting and all this emotion. And I'm just like, <laughs> like just this big smile. And I said to her, I go, you know, I, I think I just realized why you wouldn't like me. She said, well, what is it? Are you rude? Are you mean? Are you? I said, no, no, I just don't need you. Whoa. I, yeah. Right. You know, I don't need you. I don't need mom. I don't need dad. I, I don't need anybody. 
to be happy and whole and full. And, and she hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, how'd that go down? <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh... we, we worked it out. <laughs> but, um, but it was a huge, huge moment of, of realizing something for me. And I, I definitely think that was one of the biggest moments of waking up because mm-hmm. I went from the sense of needing something, whether it's validation, identity, uh, uh, like certain connections that we look at as like we're supposed to, and going, wait, if I can get rid of the feeling that I need it, then there's space for me to appreciate it mm. instead. And, and that was the, the big leap that, that has actually moved me forward in a lot of the work that I do now. That's deep, man. That's deep. That's deep thinking. I love that. <laughs> and what was healing? What healing was a big part of this journey for you? Like what modality did you use going from like your 20 years that you was, you know, been on this path? Yeah. Uh, a lot of it has been meditation. Okay. Uh, I've done several Vipassana meditations. So this mindful meditation where you do like 10-day intense courses of going inward and meditating 11 hours a day. You eight, done, eight of those, have you? I've done seven of them now. Mm. Um, and then to include all, also the two years in my own personal silence and meditative kind of lifestyle. Uh, so yeah, meditation and self-introspection has been huge, huge piece of it. Um, relationships, actually, I think for everybody are, are a huge teaching mm-hmm. tool to, to show us what we're really made up of and what's really oh, going on inside totally, to totally. reflect and project things. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> cool. Um, so like being aware yeah. of those relationships being a huge healer for you. Like, like yeah. is, it, is that the point of like you're monitoring your projections and then reclaiming them? Yes, exactly. And so I think it's, it, the first step before somebody should jump into a relationship is to learn some good tools of awareness and self-awareness so that when stuff comes up in the relationship, yeah. you're not just lobbing grenades over the, the, the wall and being like, it's all your fault. It's yeah. like, wait, wait, no. What did I have as part of this? What, what did I bring to the table, you know? Yeah, man, that's cool. I love that. And what about your friend group? How has that sort of changed as you've changed over time? Mm-hmm. Good, good question. Um, it's, it's actually a very interesting one that, that my fiance and I have talked several times about. We, we were talking about, you know, the wedding and ceremony and things like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I want to invite so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then I sat down. I'm like, yeah, I would want to invite, um, well, shoot. I don't have any really good guy friends. Like, I, I don't know who I would invite. So throughout my life, I've moved a lot. I've, I've been so busy with work and responsibilities and yeah. things like that that, I didn't really make time to actually develop wow. strong friendships. So most of my, my acquaintances have been normally the tribe that I was serving, the community that I was leading. And I remember even as a, as a college student writing essays talking about feeling left out of the very community that I was building. Wow. Wow. Interesting. And yeah. So it's actually been one of those things that, that especially now, because I've got beautiful support from my fiance, that that she, she pushes me to be like, why don't, why don't you go have, have a little, you know, a play date with, with that guy you, you talked to the other day, you know, and, and, and it's like maybe deepen a little. <laughs> and it's awesome because, you know, then I have conversations like this where I find, yeah. oh, wait, there are other guys out there that have good thought and thinking like I do and that I can relate to. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel that, man. I feel that. It's really interesting. We definitely had some good chats the other day, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was awesome. yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, I noticed this, this is a very challenging one for people on that, on that new path that we're 
we're going to a point of like changing the inner world that our outer world, you know, the values of our internal self change. Now the external mm-hmm. values that we've been around for so long are no yeah. longer appealing. Yeah, and yeah, it's sure. it's it's hard, man. Like it, for real, for people listening now, it's really really hard. Like, would you say in the sense of of that case of like when people have to leave friend groups, what's really important to remember in that situation? Yeah, this is something I actually wrote an article about, I guess, two years ago, um, where I was looking at how people who, who tend to be big examples or leaders or, or thought leaders or whatever in the world, you know, they're on the top of the mountain and they're lonely. Yeah. And it's because they're, they're leaving the tribe or the community or the friend circles that they were in, but they forget to step into another one. Uh... And I look at it almost like we're all sitting at a table we've been served a meal and that meal is certain life values or, or interests or preferences. And as we grow in, do inner growth and cultivation, we might develop different tastes and different preferences. And so we go, oh, I don't really want this anymore. And so we stand up and as we're standing up, we realize everybody else is sit, still sitting down. And so what often happens is out of loneliness, people are like, well, oh, or maybe I just sit back down and I continue doing these habits that don't really match anymore, but I, I don't want to be alone. Yeah, wow, that's but a really you, good analogy. Uh, thank you. W- what if you stood up and then you looked around and you realized that you're actually in a big room with a lot of tables and there's other people standing up also? Cool. And those other people are the ones that you get to start to relate to. And eventually you'll sit down at a table with them. And also eventually if you keep growing, you're going to stand up from that table and you're going to have to again look for the other people standing up. I love that analogy, man. That is perfectly explained that. I love it. Now... Um, what part of this conscious journey are you most grateful for? It's our second last question. Um, yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is my ability to communicate well in relationship, whether yeah. that's my relation with my partner or in even just relating in a conversation like this or with strangers or in business. It's to be able to, to look at somebody and, and, have an actual relating, not just a taking, not just a, a giving, but a relating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really powerful. And you're actually teaching more around that now, aren't you? You and your partner are going to be teaching about conscious relationships. Yes, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, we're not even calling it conscious relationship. It's just, I mean, even if, if it's like a couple that you know are, are party goers and, and drug addicts, we're just going to teach, okay, how to make it still work. Like yeah. what are some core philosophies and pillars for a relationship to work? Yeah, I love that. What's one tip that you would give your old self, younger self, just starting this journey? Uh, I think to the first thing that came to my mind was to be more gentle with myself. Mm. Uh, I think that's a big one. You know, we, we can be really hard on ourselves, especially the more self-aware we become, the more critical we become of ourselves. Mm. Um, that's not the one that I think I would really, really want to say, because that, that actually my sister told me when I was young and that really helped me. I think it would be more to say, have fun, like, like be a kid, because I, as I said, I took on too much responsibility. So find a balance between having fun and doing the work. Yeah. That's so true. That one resonates with me, man. Thank you so much, Rodolfo, for joining me, man, and sharing me your wisdom, sharing your wisdom with everyone listening and for this platform to have you on here is just fantastic, brother. So thank you so much. My honor and my pleasure, Luca. 
Thank you. And, and to anyone listening who wants to reach out to Rodolfo after this, they'll have his Instagram on the show notes and by all means, reach out to us if you have any questions, if anything's come up for you. But thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode. It just be I got love in my eyes bro I can't see I'm gonna be who I'm destined to be Wokeness is taking my old self away Yeah, I put love into me I'm spreading that love Yo, don't you see Grab your cacao and drink it with me Cause wokeness is taking my old self away Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Bring love and just be Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.